morning. The uh, scripture reading is Acts chapter 7, uh, the first 17 verses. Um, you're already standing, so I'll give you a couple seconds to, to get there. The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But at this time, but at the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Please be seated. Well, let me say good morning to everyone as well. Good to see you guys here, each one. Um, glad you were with us uh, via live stream, those that are with us. Uh, thank you, Patrick, for leading us with those hymns. Really thankful for that. Thanks, Howard, for the scripture reading. Um, Acts 7, 1 through 17. Um, that's where we'll be again this morning. And um, Lord willing, we'll be there again next week. I want you to know that this is part one of a two-part message, and we're going to be talking about the life of Abraham to some detail. I want you to know that's what we're going to be doing for a couple of weeks now. Well, for this week and next week. I've titled this message, Living as Children of Abraham, or you might say, Walking in the Footsteps of Abraham. That's the title of this message this morning. Before I go any farther, let me open with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time together, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for each one that's here, each one that's with us live stream, Father. I pray that you would bless our time together. I pray it's already been a blessing. It has been to me as we've worshipped our Lord together. Father, I want to thank you for hymn writers and hymns, Lord. Thank you that we can sing the wondrous love of Jesus that we can sing of His mercy and His grace. Father, uh, we need You in this time. We, we need You to help us um, 
in so many ways to remove distractions from us, to look into your word intently. Father, I pray that we've uh, come to this moment in time wanting to hear from you. Father, I pray that uh, you would keep me from saying anything I should not say. May you be pleased with what is proclaimed and our response to it. In Jesus' name, for his glory, amen. When you're welding two pieces of metal together, and I'm not a fantastic welder, I'm a farmer welder. I can weld something and make it hold together, and the plow will stay behind me when I'm pulling it, right? That's the kind of welder I am. But I learned uh, through doing that kind of welding, if you don't have a good ground, you can't really weld anything very well. You need a good ground to weld things together. Sometimes I would attach two grounds to the same thing to make sure I had a good ground if you're doing like stick welding. Even with those um, wire feed welders, you need a good ground to weld things together. Christianity is grounded in history. It's not only grounded in history, it's grounded in the ancestry of a people, of a nation. The ancestry of Abraham and his descendants. The New Testament opens with these words in the Gospel of Matthew. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how Matthew opens his Gospel and he goes on to lay out that genealogy and expound on this person of Christ, his life, his, his birth and his life and his ministry. But he opens his gospel. The New Testament opens with those words, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman in the gospel of John, he says to her, you Samaritans worship what you know not, or that you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is of the Jews. What a powerful statement. That, that should impact us. Salvation is of the Jews. I want to speak to you today about the children of Abraham or living as children of Abraham. And we're going to begin with an overview of all of chapter 7. I know we just read uh, 7, 1 through 17, but we're going to do like an overview. And then we're going to come back to these first 17 verses, actually just the first few of those 17 verses in verse 16 and 17. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to dig a little deeper into the life of this man, Abraham. A person who Stephen's audience here, the people he's uh, sitting in trial before, the Sanhedrin, this person, Abraham, they would be very familiar with him. More familiar than we are. But we ought to be familiar with him as well. It's true, we can be saved without knowing a lot of things. We can be saved without knowing hardly anything about the nation of Israel or the history of Abraham. It's true. But I do believe that these things are vital to living the Christian life. And I hope to expand on, on that thought right there over the course of the next two weeks, today and especially next week. But this, this section of Scripture, um, Acts chapter 7, opens with this, or the high priest said, are these things so... Or are these charges true? The charges Stephen is faced with, if you just looked back at chapter 6, and you don't need to do that, but the charges he's faced with is blasphemy against Moses and against God. Blasphemy against God would be punishable by death, speaking out against God. Blasphemy against God. He's charged 
with those offenses. And also, he is charged with um, speaking against this holy place. That would be the temple. And speaking against the law. Again, I think these were, were very, uh, these, charges, these are charges that would be punishable by death as well. But then comes this response, or Stephen's response, and he begins with this. Uh, in verse 2, and he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory. He begins with that statement, the God of glory, in verse 2. And in saying that, he's saying to them that he acknowledges the glory of God. He's not speaking against God. And he knows that God revealed his glory to the fathers and to their nation. He acknowledges those things. And he also acknowledges the calling of Moses. If you're in Acts 7, if you just look at verse 34 briefly, we're going to bounce a little bit around in Acts 7 this morning. Not very much. It's, this is going to be brief. I want you to know we're not going to look at every verse in Acts 7. But he acknowledges the calling and the authority of Moses. But in verse 34, certainly the calling of Moses. He, he relays back to them what they know to be true, that God said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans, and I have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. Send you, Moses, to Egypt. Stephen is acknowledging Moses and his calling and his authority. And then in verse 38, just go down a few more verses, and he acknowledges the divine origin and the value of the law that was given. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living words or living oracles to pass on to you. Stephen is saying, I'm not against the law. I recognize where it came from. It has divine origins. There's weightiness to the law. I'm not opposed to the law. He's letting them know that. And he acknowledges the holiness with regard to the temple and the place where it stood back in verse 7, when he, when he um, relays back to them what God said to Abraham regarding uh, the place where he sent Abraham, and whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God, and after that they will come out and serve me in this place. He's acknowledging the fact that this place is a place that was marked out by God. Stephen's saying, I'm not opposed to this place or this temple in any way. And then also, um, he, he says to them, to go beyond that, what Stephen, he says, he says all that about himself, but then to his accusers, he says to them that you're just like those rebellious ones that have been throughout our history. You're just like them. And, and he does it first by exposing their jealousy. He may have done it even sooner than that with regard to Abraham, but I'm not sure about that. But certainly in verse 9 of chapter 7, he says, The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, yet God was with him. Do you know when they hear that? Do you know, do you know when you're sitting in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a church setting and a pastor's preaching a message and there's been something 
in your life that you know just isn't quite right, and maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's pride, maybe it's envy, maybe it's lust, maybe it's something like that, and someone speaks to that, and it feels like the preacher's preaching to you. It feels like the preacher came in prepared to talk to just you, you one person. And, and people have come up to pastors and said, did you know I was going to be here today? That's happened over and over and over again. These guys are in this place of jealousy. When he says this in verse 9, when Stephen says the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph, you can be sure that same thing, that same thing happens to them. They're jealous and they know it. They know it. He exposes their jealousy there. So he says, I'm not guilty of any of these things. And then he's going to make this indictment on them and he begins with this. Their jealousy. And then they're just like their fathers who rejected Moses and his God-given authority. Look at verse 37 and 38. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren. God goes on to say, and you should listen to everything that he says. You should listen to all that he says. But they don't. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers, and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Here I think he's exposing their hypocrisy. They were rejecting Moses, and they were rejecting the Word of God because they rejected their Savior. And when, he, when, when Stephen says this to them, these guys that are listening to this message, many of them would have been present for the trial of Jesus. Would have, would, have, would have known the things that Jesus said, would have heard Jesus say many of the things that he said. And one of the things Jesus said to the Jews, the leaders of the people, in John 5, 46 and 47, he says, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you will not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Stephen is exposing their hypocrisy. And that happens. That happens when... When the Word of God is proclaimed and someone is living in hypocrisy, it exposes that hypocrisy and there's a feeling of, I am undone. I am exposed. These men are feeling that. I'm convinced of that. This isn't just words coming at them that they're ignoring. It's hitting them hard. It's hitting them hard before Stephen gets to this crescendo. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. Before Stephen ever even gets there, the conviction's coming. And then he builds on that because they were the ones, he also builds on it in this way, they were the ones who were against the holiness of the temple and despised the land. Verse 39, Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him, and in their hearts turned back, they turned back to Egypt. In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. He's exposing their heart condition. That's why he says, you're uncircumcised in heart and ears. Their hearts turn back to Egypt. In the congregation of the righteous, they're in the congregation of the righteous. They're among this righteous man, Stephen, who is shining with his brightness of the glory of God, who's indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who has a relationship with God, and he's saying these things and it's convicting them, and there they are before this righteous person, and their heart is in the opposite direction. And, and, and they're realizing that. They're get, they're, their hearts are being exposed before the Word of God. And they're like those ones who turned their back on God, verse 40 and 41. 
saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. At that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Do you know, I think that these people made an idol out of Scripture. Scripture is the very Word of God, but they made it, they turned it into an idol. The temple was the, the special dwelling place of God, but they turned that temple into an idol. Just like they turned the, the serpent that Moses held up in the wilderness, they turned that into an idol. Jesus said to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify of me. They were the ones that were res- res- they were the ones that were resisting God, not Stephen and the Holy Spirit. In verse fifty-one, he exposes their position. He exposes their jealousy, their hypocrisy, their heart condition, their idolatry, and their position before God. In fifty-one, when he says, "You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing what you're just as your fathers did." There's the crescendo. There's where he's leading them to with all these things he's been saying to them. I'm not guilty of these things you're charging me with, but you men are. And they were the ones who killed the prophets in verse 52. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Ouch. Right to the point. No holding back with Stephen. He just hammers them with the truth. They killed their Messiah Himself. And they were the ones who did not keep the law. Verse 53, You who received the law as ordained by angels yet did not keep it. This is a powerful indictment. And it is the conviction of sin that comes over them in verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at Him. And now they're going to stone Him, right? This conviction of sin has come on them. And it began when Stephen began with the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. There's Stephen with this glow on his face proclaiming that truth. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And they are reminded of Abraham's legacy, which is a legacy of faith. And faith working itself out through practical obedience, through practical obedience. And this brings to light their own legacy, which isn't a pretty picture. And I think it cuts even deeper than that. Because they are reminded of Abraham's relationship with God. And that's the focus of our message today living as children of Abraham. One of the focuses of our message today is Abraham's relationship with God. I'm taking that focus in part from Galatians 3.7, which is our highlight verse today. And it talks about something that we as believers are to understand. Galatians 3.7, when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says that believers, we as believers are to understand something. And he says this, understand then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. 
not physical, but spiritual children of Abraham. So the question comes to mind, what does that mean? What, what would it be mean to what would it mean to us to be living as children of Abraham? Abraham is mentioned over 60 times in the New Testament. And as you, as you come across him, everywhere you come across Abraham, he seems to be central to on a, to a clear understanding of the theology of the New Testament. He seems to be central to that. What does it mean to be living as children of Abraham? Well, this is the first point. There are two points to today's message. The second point will conclude next week. But the first point is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. The children of Abraham, like Abraham, enjoy a personal relationship, a personal relationship with the God of glory. Why does this cut these men? Why does this message cut these men so deep? They don't have that relationship, and they know it. All those other things, too, but it starts right there. They don't have what Abraham had. They don't have what Stephen has. They can't cope with his wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. And they know it. The children of Abraham enjoy a personal relationship with the God of glory. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Okay, back to verse 2 now. And we're just going to spend most of our time in the verse 2 through 7 or so. And we'll bump down to verse 16 and 17 somewhere along the way. Something Stephen's accusers did not enjoy or have. That is a personal relationship with the God of glory. Jesus said to the Jews, those who were rejecting him, the religious rulers of his day in John 8.39, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. That's what he says. And Jesus goes on to say in that same chapter, if God were your father, you would love me. When Jesus says that to them, I think in part what he's saying is you are not in personal relationship with this with with God. You're not in personal relationship with God. If God were your father, you would love me. They weren't in personal relationship because they rejected Jesus, the son of God, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And because they rejected him, they were rejecting the God of glory, God the Father. They are without a relationship with Him. And in uh, chapter 8, verse 56 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, this is kind of pulling this out of its context slightly, but I want to, what he says here is solid with regard to what we're talking about today. He says, the rulers of this age didn't understand the wisdom that came from God. If they would have, they would not have crucified who? The Lord of glory. 
the Lord of... Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Similar language. The Lord of glory. As you read in John chapter 8, I'd encourage you to do that this afternoon if you got some free time. It becomes very clear that Jesus is making the point that physical descendants are not necessarily spiritual children of Abraham. But children of Abraham, just like Abraham, enjoy a personal relationship with this God of glory. So that's, that's where my question kind of comes and where this, this thought comes. What was this like for Abraham? What was this relationship like for him? If we're to live, if we are children of Abraham, spiritual children of Abraham, as it says in Galatians 3.7, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham, if that's what we are. What was this like for Abraham to live in relationship with this God? Last week I touched on the fact that this relationship was initiated by God. We're not going to grab onto that this week, but it is true God initiated the relationship, but we know that to be the case for us. If you look back on how you came to faith in Christ, you can see that God was initiating that relationship. The first guy that witnessed to me. Why does he witness to me? Had the indwelling Holy Spirit wanted to witness me? He did a terrible job of it, by the way. <laughs> but what he said was so true. I'm not knocking him. What he said was so true, I couldn't shake the truth of what he was proclaiming to me. I couldn't shake the truth of it. And it stayed with me for years. Stay with me for a long time. Well, even today. His approach was was kind of different. That's why it wasn't a very good job. It was it was a different approach. But okay, so what was this relationship like for Abraham? If if we are children of Abraham and we have just like Abraham have come into a personal relationship, what was this relationship? This personal relationship that Abraham had with God that these men don't have that Stephen is stirring up with this reality that they're aware of. What was this like for him? And just some points about that. And the first one is that God blessed him with his presence. God blessed Abraham with his presence. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 2 through 4, give us a summary of what Stephen's listeners would readily be able to fill in the details of, right? Verse 2 through 4, let's read them again. And he said, Hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God gave him, God had him, rather, move to this country in which you are now living. Now this is in brief what these men that Stephen is preaching to would have the bigger picture of. It's just like if I'm given a message on a Sunday morning, you're sitting and listening to someone else giving a message, and you're tracking with where they're at, and your mind is thinking about, yep, I got that, I got that, I can kind of see where you're going, and your mind goes to maybe another piece, place of Scripture, and another place of Scripture, and you're thinking, and the Lord's working on you like that. These men are able to do that. They know Abraham's history. When, when Stephen gives this little synopsis of Abraham, all these details are flooding into their mind. It's not like this little snapshot and that's all they're thinking about, all this other stuff would come into their mind, just naturally so. 
We know it to be the case. It, it happens for us. The same thing happens to us. If someone's speaking or preaching, or if they're just telling you a story and you already know the story, maybe someone's told you the same story 13 times and your mind's going, yep, I know what they're going to say next because you've told me this story before. I've heard this. I think I heard this before. You can fill in the details. They know this story of Abraham. They love this story of Abraham. They know the details about Abraham. I'm pressing this because it's important to keep that in mind. And one thing they would know is that God blessed Abraham with his presence. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. They would have the details in their memory. And those details would include how Abraham interacted with God and how God interacted with him. And again, there's Stephen. He's radiating this something of the presence of God on his face and he begins with that statement again. And this appearing of God to Abraham and God interacting with Abraham was, is not a one-off event. I encourage you to read John chapter 8 this afternoon. You may want to start in Genesis chapter 12 and read through chapter 22 or something and just see how God was involved in Abraham's life. And Abraham was, had this relationship with God. It wasn't this one-off event. There, there's a relationship there. God blessed Abraham with his presence. Abraham was aware that God was present with him. It was an active, vibrant, day-to-day relationship between God and Abraham. So the first thing with regard to this relationship that Abraham had, and we, if we're going to live as children of Abraham, we ought to have, is this uh, sense of God's presence with us day-to-day. And it's what Stephen's audience, the Sanhedrin, those men there, did not have. And that, that's why later in Acts, Paul relays that Jesus says to him, you find it hard to kick against the goads, don't you? Stephen, or Paul relays that that's something Jesus said to him. He had been kicking against the goads. Paul's there. He's, at this time, Saul, he's listening to these words. He knows Stephen has something he doesn't have. And it's this presence of God with him and this day-to-day, vibrant, real relationship. Something else. If we're living as children of Abraham, um, I'm I'm going to talk about this. We know that God also spoke to Abraham. It says it there uh, in verse 2. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham there. He appeared to him while he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, he spoke to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into this land that I will show you. God spoke to Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia. Abraham is called out of a pagan country. This culture in Mesopotamia, you can look some of that up, it was a big deal. It was a civilized culture. Quotes. 
while he was living in this land of idolatry, that's where God calls him from. It was a land of idolatry. We know that uh, from the book of Joshua. You know, um, Stephen briefly touches on Joshua in verse 45 of chapter 7. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua, that is the tabernacle that was in the wilderness, upon dispossessing the nations whom God had drove out before our fathers until the time of David. Stephen touches on Joshua. And Ron uh, taught Sunday school for a little while on Joshua. I forget how many weeks we had. That was a wonderful time. But, it, uh, but Stephen, for his audience, traces, traces their history from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses and to Joshua to David. He just does that. And, and, and they, they would be familiar with Joshua and the things that Joshua had said. In Joshua chapter 24, as the book of Joshua is drawing to a close and Joshua's life is coming to a close, he's, he's heading to be with the Lord. He's, he's going to pass away and absent from the body, present with the Lord, he's going to pass on. And he calls all the tribes together. It says this, Joshua 24, 1 and 2. Then Joshua gathered together all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Just a note on that. They presented themselves before God. I think Stephen, in part, when he says, the God of glory appeared before our father's Abraham, our father Abraham, he is, with this message, for his hearers, presenting them before God. They are sitting in judgment of Stephen, but as Stephen preaches this message, they find themselves sitting before God and hearing what God has to say about their own condition. Anyhow, uh, back to Joshua now. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and their heads and judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, that would be the river Jordan, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. And what does it say after that? And they served other gods. They served other gods. They were idolaters. They served other gods. We know that God spoke to Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia. And when he did that, he called Abraham out of a pagan culture. You say, well, God doesn't speak to me today, but He does. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through His Word. He can use the Old Testament to do that. He can use the history of Israel to do that. He can use Abraham's life to do that. God gave direction to Abraham Verse 3, And said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. God gives direction to Abraham, but He doesn't give all the details in advance. Abraham lived by faith. And God calls to him and says, says that, Leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. 
God called him out, out of his former life, out of the culture he knew, out of the customs he knew. And if you were to read Genesis 12 through chapter 22, you would see that's what's happening. God is calling Abraham out. He's calling him out. He's calling him out. He's calling him out of the world. He just keeps doing that. And he's calling him into and into and into and into a relationship with himself. That's what's going on in Abraham's life. He says, go into the land I will show you. I will show you. He's trust, he has to trust God for tomorrow. Go into the land that I will show you. If we're going to live as children of Abraham, part of that is, is some of that. God doesn't give us all the details. We've got to walk by faith. He calls us out and He calls us out and He calls us out. He calls us out of the world. Out of the world. Out of the world. The customs of the world. The things of the world. And He calls us into Himself. Into Christ. Into Christ-likeness. Into the body of Christ. That's what He does. And then verse 4. The NIV has it, so he left. Or the NAS, then he left. God, God says, go and I will show you. So he left. Abraham steps out in faith and he steps toward God. And I got to thinking about that and I thought about this. Imagine when you're getting ready to go on vacation and you've got your car packed and you've got your things together and maybe you're going to be on like a 10-day long vacation. You're going to go to some place, go see some relatives, spend some time there. You know that feeling you get first stepping out your door? First step getting into your car? The first couple miles down the road? As you're first pulling out of town? You know, Abraham's a person. He's going to feel all that. God says go, so he left. But when he left, there was that. He had to take the step forward. And imagine, imagine the excitement that would be there. The mystery, the unknown nature of things. He steps out of the life he knew and into a life with God. That's, that's what he's doing there. Imagine if God turned everything upside down in your world and said, I want you to go here. And you had to step out of everything you knew and into this life that God had out in front of you. But you didn't know the details. That first step would be a big one, wouldn't it? That first step is a big one. And God just shows Himself faithful. In verse 4, uh, the second part of that tells us He has to step out again because He spent some time in Haran Maybe his father got ill. We don't know the details, but he doesn't leave Haran until his father dies. He goes as far up toward where he has to go. He goes kind of north, west, I guess it is, and ends up in Haran. They stay there till his father dies. And then he sets out again. Another step of faith. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living.
And when he gets, when he gets there, when he leaves Haran finally, and he ends up in Canaan, in Genesis 12:7, it says, The Lord appears to Abram again at Shechem. There Shechem comes up again. Shechem's a big deal. So it's not this one-off. This relationship with God, it's a continual thing with Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham again at Shechem. And there he speaks of Abraham's descendants. And Abraham doesn't even have any children yet. And there Abraham builds an altar. Abraham's in his 70s. He doesn't have any children yet, and the Lord is promising these things. Abraham builds an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. There Abraham building this altar to the Lord who appeared to him. There's this relationship between God and Abraham. God appears to Abraham. Abraham builds an altar. And the very next verse, um, verse 9, after Abraham builds this altar in Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 9, it says he travels on and he's pitching his tent as he goes and he ends up pitching his tent between Bethel and Ai. And he's there. And it says that he builds an altar there to the Lord. And then it says this, and he called on the name of of the Lord. So God calls him out and God, call, God calls him into and now here is Abraham calling on the name of the Lord. This is a relationship. It's a relationship. God called to Abraham and Abraham called on the name of the Lord. There is communication. Abraham enjoyed a relationship with God. And if we're going to live as children of Abraham, it's doing the things that Abraham did. Enjoying a relationship with God. Abraham lived a life of faith and he lived in a relationship with God. He enjoyed a relationship with God. He didn't live a life of perfection, but he did live a life in personal relationship with a living God. If you were to read that, Genesis 12-22, through 22, you'd see that Abraham isn't a perfect guy. He doesn't live a life of perfection. God's calling him out and calling him out and calling him out and calling him into and calling him into and calling him into a relationship. And then you get to Genesis 15.6 and it says this, these beautiful words, Abraham believed God and, he, and it was credited unto him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him as righteousness. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham that's where Stephen starts. And all these things that I'm sharing with you, these things would have flooded into their mind just naturally. They know Abraham. They know his story. And Paul, when he writes to the Galatians, he says, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. We're children of Abraham. Spiritual children of Abraham. What does that mean? To be living like a child of Abraham. We're living in relationship with God. We're blessed with the presence of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and God speaks to us through His Word. And God gives direction to us. And He calls us out, and He calls us out, and He calls us out, and He calls us into relationship. And we can call on the Lord. We can call on the name of the Lord. And here, this is a big one here. What else, what else with regard to this? life of Abraham, if we're going to live as children of Abraham. God called Abraham to Himself. God calls Abraham 
to himself, not just to a place, not on an adventure, not on a travel. God calls Abraham to himself, so you don't have to travel to do any of that. You don't have to go anywhere. It can happen right where you're at. Genesis 15.1 After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. After these things. After Abraham goes and rescues Lot, there's a big battle going on, and Abraham says, I'm going to go rescue my nephew. And it's a big deal. He doesn't take very many guys, and they whoop, on a, whoop up on a bunch of kings, and they have victory. God gives them victory. And after this amazing victory, this is what is said, Genesis 15.1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham. After this amazing victory, almost, when you read it, it's like, how did he accomplish that? What happened there? How did that happen? God comes to him and says, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. God calls Abraham to Himself. If we are to live like children of Abraham, then we are to know that God is calling us to Himself. To Himself. Not to a place. Not to a, not to a position necessarily. But if there's a position, it's a position because in that position, whatever that might be, it's because in that, He can call you to Himself. And I don't know how many testimonies I've heard of believers who have had this happen. I was going this direction and God said no. And He set me aside for a while. And then all of a sudden, He opened this door. And I realized that in all that, God was calling me to Himself. To Himself. He calls us to Himself. If we're to live a life like children of Abraham, we need to know, we need to understand that God is calling us to Himself. This verse, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. It's possible that some of those listening to Stephen's message would have this come flooding to their minds. It's possible. Stephen, through the Holy Spirit, places them in their own hearts before the glory of God. And he's making this case to their own conscience, or the Holy Spirit is making this case to their conscience, and it is pounding on them. It is pricking them. It is sharp. It is cutting. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide to the very soul, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. They are being cut. The Spirit of God is speaking to them. Again, just put yourself in the scene. There's, here are the charges, and there's Stephen's appearance, and then he just opens up about the father of their nation and his personal encounters or his personal relationship with God floods into their mind. But we are to be living as children of Abraham. Children of Abraham, enjoying a personal relationship with the God of glory by grace through faith in the Lord of glory. We ought to be doing that. Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 3 7, understand then that those who believe are children, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. 
Okay, point two, which we're going to finish up next week. It's a little more detailed, I think. Um, but I want to touch on it today. Children of Abraham also live on the promises of God. They live on the promises of God. Verse, the second part of verse 3 and through verse 5 and verse 17. Um, maybe all of verse 3. And said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran from there. After his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living but he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. Children of Abraham live like Abraham lived, and Abraham lived on the promises of God. If you belong to Christ, it says in Galatians 3.29, and this is going to be the focus of our message next week, this verse, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And God says to him, and go into the land that I will show you. And then again, the next word is, so then he left. And the writer of Hebrews sums that up. When God says, go into the land I will show you, and the next thing that happens is, Abram just goes. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham lived on the promises of God. And Abraham lived as a pilgrim. He was an, an immigrant, leaving his country of or, origin, and he was an immigrant living in a foreign country. And because he lived like that, by faith in God and on the promises of God, it says something about how he viewed his time here on earth. And the writer of Hebrews has something to say about people who live like that as well. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, he says, those who live like this are confessing that they were aliens and pilgrims or aliens and strangers on the earth. This world is not our home. It wasn't Abraham, by living like that, was confessing something. He was proclaiming something. He was saying something with his life. He was saying, this world is not my home. And if we're going to live like children of Abraham, we need to understand that this world is not our home. We're pilgrims. You've heard it before. Probably heard it a thousand times. We're just passing through. Abraham went passing through, pitching his tent, pitching his tent, pitching his tent. Same for us. This is not our home. It can feel awfully homey at times, but ultimately, this is not our home. Abraham did not live by possession, but he lived on promises. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. He had no permanent home here, but he enjoyed a permanency in his experience with a living God. We'll close with verse 16 and 17 and a few words about them before, we, before we're done. And we'll wait for next week for that second half here. Verse 16 and 17, From there they, they were removed to Shechem and laid in a tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money 
from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. The promise was coming close. The time of the promise was coming close. It says in Shechem, seems Shechem is an important place throughout their history. Might touch on that a little bit next week. But the time was drawing near for God to fulfill His promise. That there was more that still needed to happen. The time was drawing near, but there was a whole bunch of events that still needed to happen. The point I'm trying to make with that is, the point is, God is faithful to His promises no matter how long we might have to wait. No matter how long it seems like we might have to wait. You know, this, this message by Stephen is going to move on into Moses, and we'll see, maybe we'll tackle that uh, two weeks out from now. But Moses passes the baton to Joshua, and then Moses dies, and Joshua leads the people of God into the land that was promised to them all the way back to this point when Abraham has it promised. And when Joshua was about to die, again, this this thing that Josh, about Joshua, when, when Joshua was about to die, and they've seen God's faithfulness bringing them out of Egypt and uh, in the wilderness, God was faithful to them and into the land and all during their conquest of the land. In Joshua 23, 14, it says this, And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. God made promises to Abraham. And if we are believers, then we are to understand that those who believe are children of Abraham. And we are to live as children of Abraham. We are to understand the things that Abraham understood. And not one of God's promises to us will fail. It doesn't matter how long it seems like we're going to be waiting for. The promises of God are sure. Um, I was about to run in a new direction. I'm not going to do that next week. We're going to close right here in a word of prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time in Your Word. Would You bless this Word to Your people? Bless our week this week. Help us to consider Abraham the kind of man he was, if we're to be children of Abraham, if we're to live as children of Abraham, if that's what we are, Lord, help us to have a better understanding of what that means. In Jesus' name, amen.